Hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Thank you so, so much to those who send me emails with your comments and with your suggestions. I value your feedback so much. I really thank you. Uh, and again, for those of you who would like to write to me, uh, my email address is drpeterresnick at gmail.com. It looks like we developed quite a nice, nice rhythm in this show that many people like, as I understand from the, your feedback. Every other week I speak about some tools that I use in my practice. And every other week I invite a particular specialist in the healing arts. Last week I started talking about the unconscious beliefs from my series of talks on the six pillars of well-being. I took those who were interested through a couple of mental exercises designed to discover what those unconscious beliefs are. Uh, but we only started. And again, I received emails from some people who went through the exercises and were a little bit shy sharing um, with the experiences on the air. And, some and somebody, I, I believe, um, actually called and we spoke about it. And next week I will continue uh, with the same subject, but also we'll start talking about the next pillar, our conscious beliefs and attitudes. I identified 13, let's call them attitudinal challenges that all people face to one degree or another, um, such as uh, guilt, judgment, arrogance, jealousy, expectations, worry, anger, doubt, ingratitude, vanity, greed, apathy, and denial. I hope I listed them all. We'll try to cover just a couple of them. And again, it doesn't mean that every person is dealing with those issues, but some may, may deal with one or two or maybe more than one or two. Anyway, uh, we'll be dealing with it next week. But today, uh, I have a very special guest. I hope we can get connected. We've been trying. His name is uh, Vladimir Engert. Uh, when I thought actually this morning on how I wanted to introduce him, uh, okay, I just got the message that we are connected. So as I thought about how I wanted to introduce him and his work, nothing that came to my mind seemed to be appropriate. Or uh, I, I did not feel like I, whatever I say would describe him accurately or what he does. So let me tell you a little story that I recall this morning, actually. The year 2005, I flew to Albuquerque and I was visiting my sister uh, who lived in um, Taos, New Mexico, and Vlad, Vladimir or Vlad uh, also lived there, and he was supposed to pick me up from the airport. So I come out of, from the, uh, whatever it is, you know, gates, and Vlad is not there, but there is a man, a little older, looking uh, older than Vlad, with a sign, welcome, Peter Resnick, and so he apologizes for Vlad, said that Vlad was very uh, busy, and he sent this man to pick him up. I don't remember um, the man's name. 
And so we're driving, I think it was like an hour and a half to two hour drive to, to Taos, New Mexico. And he seemed to be such an intelligent man. He was funny, intelligent, witty, uh, quite educated. I was very impressed. And somewhere at the end of our trip, I kind of, maybe it wasn't that polite, but I, I said to him, listen, you seem to be like, to seem to be a fantastic man. Tell me, what does a man like you, you look, look like, uh, I think Vlad at that time, uh, then that year was uh, 35 or 37 years old. And this man looked like 40, 45. I said, uh, what is a man like you, so educated and a little older than Vlad, do driving a car for Vlad? And he told me a story. He said six months prior to, to this day, he said he was using heroin and was not happy with his life and just stepped in front of the bus. He woke up in a hospital and they told him that he will never walk again. And he was aching all over and he called the only friend he had in uh, Taos, New Mexico and told him about what happened. And the friend said, okay, wait for me. And this friend brought in Vlad. And from what I remember, I remember it's 16 years ago, this, uh, I heard this story. Vlad worked with him for an hour and then he got dressed, got up from his bed and walked away. Vlad will remind me if I'm right or I'm a little bit confused now because it happened so long ago that I heard the story. But actually, um, the man told me he had x-rays uh, taken the day he was brought to the hospital. And then three days later, when he went to see a doctor, and it was totally different picture. And um, he felt fantastic. And he felt as if he was never uh, hurt. Um, and that's the story. So I hope I gave you a little tease of what is to come. And now let's see if Vlad is here. Oh, you are here. <laughs> Hi, Vlad. I'm so happy to see you. They were trying to connect with you. Somehow it wasn't working. So, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you Vladimir Angert. Hi, Vlad. What's going on? How are you? Uh, good. Very good. Um, you know, even though I, I was I right? Do you remember the story? Do you know who this person is? It's, his name is David. Mm -hmm. He um, was trying to do away with himself. He jumped out in front of a um, Chevy Blazer. Oh, I thought a bus. <laughs> he uh, he had three breaks in his femur, two breaks in his pelvis, and all his vertebrae in the lower spine were turned, so they were literally. They stretched when they turned. They stretched his skin when they were sticking out, out of the skin. So the doctors put him in a, in a kind of a nursing home rehab because there's really nothing to do for him. You can't just turn those vertebrae back. And um, I had to carry him to get him to treat him. I had lectured for uh, UNM. I had a uh, I had a lecture for University of New Mexico holistic department. And they brought him, he was in a wheelchair or a walker, and there was a second floor. I, I was lecturing on the second floor, so I, I put his arms around my neck, 
and carried him up to the second floor. And I thought you went to the hospital. You see how time goes and I made up the whole story. Listen, we're, we're both young, so... She um, she told us she used to sit in the cafe and tell the story to everyone. But okay, now now this is a fascinating story. I of course I screwed it up, but I would like us to go from the beginning. You know, like when when I invite people, I'm interested when I invite it already quite a few very interesting speakers, and I'm interested not only in what they do, but how they got to where they are now. So if you don't mind, now people are probably quite impressed with this experience where uh, you know, you, you heal the person who was in such a poor state. But I would like, if you don't mind, sh to sh you to share with how you, how you started. Uh, because I, I know your, your personal story quite well. So just when you identified that you were somewhat different. <laughs> At what age? I think uh, my mother swears that I became different when I fell down a flight of stairs, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure it caused other differences. Uh, I think uh, I've always known. You know, um, and when we lived in the former Soviet Union, my mother said that people I would play in front of the building, and people would stop to look in my eyes because it was always very intense. And, uh, um, but my first, I would say, truly phenomenal experience was in the former Soviet Union. I probably uh, around, I keep getting the age wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was around seven years old. My mother had very sharp cuticle scissors, and they went across the street to the theater, the green theater across the street from our building. And, uh, it was an open theater, so you can literally, from my window, you can hear the music. And I took her scissors and was playing war and swinging them around. And I accidentally stabbed myself in the leg. And I heard a voice in the palate of my mouth that said, don't panic. You won't bleed. I wasn't really worried about bleeding. I was worried about my father coming home and killing me. So uh, bleeding to death was the, the least of my troubles. <laughs> So I, uh, I pulled it out and nothing happened. Uh, I didn't believe. So, um, I yeah. didn't hear I didn't know that story. Yeah. I don't think. I didn't okay. believe them. Dad, uh, they both came back from theater and I, uh, I don't, I, I never told anyone. And then the second incident as a child was, uh, we lived in a commune in the, in the, in the limestone building. Um, that belonged to a duke. So when you you walk into a, it's kind of like a old, like the uh, pre-war buildings in Manhattan. You know, you walk into a, a hallway, and there's seven rooms, and these rooms used to be just rooms, and the Soviets made them apartments. So literally, one apartment was divided into seven rooms, and and all seven families shared two bathrooms. So my mother and I walk in, and, and uh, she says, oh, by the way, do you know one of our commune residents, Andre, died? And as soon as she said it, there was a little kind of window in front of my forehead that opened up. And I saw Andre um, sitting on the toilet, leaning with his head against the wall. And as she's speaking, we're walking towards our, what you would call a room, our apartment. 
And um, she said, well, you know, he died from a stroke. He was, they had to break the door to get in the bathroom to get him out. And that was my second experience of um, being able to see something otherworldly. And, and and then w you came to the United States. You were, I think, ten years old, right? I think the, coming to the United States kind of confirmed everything for me because I, um, there's, a, as you understand and know, that uh, there's no God in the Soviet Union and no talk of God. No, just knew who we were. We were Jews, and um, but. I was like, I, I had no idea what that meant. I just knew I was very proud of it. But then it was a lot of, we came to the States, there was a lot of, you know, we moved into an Italian, Irish-Italian neighborhood, Ben Sarah's Brooklyn, and there was a lot of talk of God and, you know, and Jesus and Moses and all kinds of biblical figures. And I thought people say, oh, you know, God punishes and rewards. And I, and I and this experience of uh, stabbing myself with the scissor came back to me and I, kind of put the two and two together and what it made what really happened in the states is i realized that this whole conversation about god punishing rewarding and destroying was nonsense uh, i realized all it does is participate that gave me a kind of a completely different view of reality at that age yeah i was already wow. at I decided uh, I was probably 10 or 11 when my grandfather would go to synagogue to, to pray on every Saturday. And I realized uh, there's no guy in the sky. It's a constant flow. It doesn't punish, reward, or destroy. Nobody's going to come and get us. It's nonsense. It's a small-minded nonsense. And what I realized is that you can choose whatever you want to do. And whatever you pursue, it, just, it happens because you direct whatever is creating everything, you direct its will. I, maybe I didn't have that kind of vocabulary, but it's kind of a, an under, internal understanding that I, I, I just gathered from, from all my experience. And it just continued from there, you know. But, Vlad, you, but you did not start doing healing work. First, you, you did what would be called now the mediumship, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't remember when. I think you started when you were like 20 years old or... or... I started to see the other side from 12. My, unfortunately, I was in military academy and uh, my grandfather died. And the kid came to wake me up in, um, I was in bed at 7 o'clock, 7.30 in the morning. And when he went to touch, I was facing the wall. He went to touch my shoulder. I turned, I said, I know. He said, what do you know? I said, I have to go to the academic building and take a call. And he was a little freaked out. I went to the academic building. My mother said, pack your stuff, come home. Grandpa died. And from that point on, I, I started to have conversations with him. But I started a practice as a psychic medium, which is a two loaded words, uh, at 30. Uh, at some point at 30 years old, I was walking down 86th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue in Manhattan. And I got some money from an ATM, and when I turned, uh, turned I turned away, literally turned my back from to the ATM. Uh, everyone's dead relatives were talking to me, so I thought uh, uh, that was it. You know, I was going to end up in some 
facility staring out the window for the rest of my life. I actually remember the day when you told me, but they also told me that I will be able to do healing work. And I said, who they? (laughs) You remember? Well, I think uh, when that incident happened, I went home and sat home for three weeks. I ate, I drank water and, and ate yogurt. And then I would, I would, go out about five o'clock in the afternoon, get on the train and just want look at people and look at their lives. And my eyes were peeled. So I thought, you know, after a while, I guess, I, I guess my mother had called and, and you came and said, listen, you're, if you were supposed to be on the other side, you would be, but you're here. So whatever your work is, it should be here. You have to come back. Otherwise you'll float off. Because I said I, that. Yeah. Because my, I look like I wasn't here. I would be looking, speaking to you, but I was, I was so consumed by being able to see all these things. Uh, I started, I would, I would look past you. And when you said it to me, I, I kind of snapped out of it. You know, it was like, a, you know, <laughs> one of those. <laughs> but I, I didn't start healing right away. I would, I started to practice. It's not as if you said them. What, what I understand happened is the vibration of my soul became higher and when your light is higher um, what happens is you align to a higher frequency where you're not getting incremental uh, tidbits of information you're really aligned to a reality that's beyond this one and so I started to receive information uh, how to look how to look forward how to look back how to look at health how to understand what I'm looking at. I didn't even know anatomy. I mean, it was, it was such a, uh, it was one thing to see my grandfather on my own, but it was a completely other thing to be able to sit in that light constantly and re- and download information. That's really what happened. No, I can't say them. Them means I was talking to spirit. I don't, that's not how I function. So uh, I literally, my soul went up a notch, I guess, uh, uh, the volume turned was turned up, and I started to download information. And then at around 32, I was training a young medium, also from our part of the world. He was from Odessa. He's a 26-year-old young man. And he said to me, you know, I see someone here. Said, okay, well, you know, we were going back and forth. He saw something for me. I saw something for him and, and so on. And I went, um, she went home, and the next day, I went to wash my hands in the bathroom. As I was coming out, I saw an entity that I identified was not a disembodied soul, because that was simple for me, just uh, talking to the other side. But it was, um, it identified itself as the angel Raphael. And I was, I said, okay, well, if, uh, he said, you're going to change the way the medical community looks at healing, right? So I said, well, I have a, a psoriasis patch. I've had it since I'm 16, and it was on the back of my leg. I said, if I'm going to be such a great healer, why don't I start with me? It's been an embarrassment. I mean, it was, I was really insecure about it. So I said, How, what do I do? Do I put my hand next to, the, to my calf where it is, or do I, what do I do? He said, well, you have to heal your stomach because psoriasis is from acid and anger and frustration. It's an eruption on the skin. And I thought, wow, my God. And finally, you know, he said, you're going to heal this one and that one. And then three, he told me that a girl would come 
in three weeks and that she would have severed nerves in her necks from surgery. And the girl came three weeks later. But most importantly, I called Gerald Epstein. Mm -hmm. said, you know, I had this experience. I saw Raphael. He said, oh, I couldn't, he, you know, he, he was the head of Mount Sinai Psychiatric <laughs> at the time. So he said, uh, I have a number for you to call. I call a woman out in Lilydale, New York, Fredonia, New York. She picks up the phone. I said, listen, I had an experience. She says, we're in the bathroom. Uh, I thought she was being funny. So, uh, uh, I said, uh, where are you? I'm coming to see you. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't joking. I thought she was being like facetious. She said, well, I'm having a course. I, I have a, a three-day intensive. Why don't you come here and um, we'll see if we can help you. I didn't say anything. I didn't say my name. I didn't say anything. I came. I flew to Buffalo. I drove to Fredonia, which is two and a half hours away. And as a class of 22 people, she was a medium, a psychic. She started demonstrating her abilities. She went to four people, and then she went to me. She said, young man, can I speak to you? I said, sure. She said, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to pay really close attention to this young man. He's going to change the way the medical community looks at healing. And that was the opening. That was, I was completely freaked out. I mean, it was a huge confirmation. Well, by now I know that you've spoken in medical schools, right? And in New York, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and uh, New Mexico and so on. So uh, <laughs> there are so many <laughs> aspects to your work that like I, I'm, as you talk, I'm thinking, should I talk about this? Should I ask about that? Uh, maybe we'll have you one more time, but let's let's give people kind of a taste of all, all the aspects of your work. If you don't mind um, sharing with what what is the underlying principle of the work that you do? If, there is, if you can speak about underlying principle. I would say um, the underlying principle is God runs the world. <laughs> That's it. There's no, you don't need to speak to spirits. You don't need to uh, learn about little triangles in your mind. You don't need to uh, learn technique. You have to become aware and become, I think the other principle is becoming realized, meaning I create, you know, as you know, I create a system called realized medicine. And the, re the reason I came up with it because I kind of got tired, you know, after, um, I don't know if you remember, I had come to you and said, you know, I'm, uh, I saw Raphael and uh, I'm going to stop doing psychic mediumship and talking to, you know, to everyone's grandma. I'm going to start healing people. And you said, well, you, you know, you're doing well. I had been seeing 10 people a day already. And you said, look, don't, it's a, it's a, it's um, very controversial and uh, why don't you just um, stick to what's at, how, what you're doing well at? And I thought, well, I think I lost you for a second. Are you still there? Yes. Yeah. And, and Vlad, actually, I thought of bringing it up today because, you know, I talk to so many people, I often express my opinion and I wanted to admit today and I didn't know that you would bring it up. I wanted to say this was one time I gave you advice and I'm happy you didn't take it. <laughs> Appreciate it. 
Um, because so many people, you know, so many people were helped. And if you would speak to mediumship, people would get some benefits, but but in quite a different area. Are you are you with me? You hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm uh, just okay. Okay. Awesome. So when when you you know some of our listeners, I'm certain, uh, are atheists. Some uh, believe in God, and I know. Uh, that you don't send people away if they say, I don't believe in God, you work with anybody. So is there a difference between a person who believes that we are just an accident, you know, things happen uh, and somehow uh, an ape became a human being and so on. Uh, so, and, and God is a production of our imagination uh, or fantasy and some who really believe in God. So my question to you, uh, is there a difference in, in them being able to receive? Because I have, by the way, before you answer, I had here um, on this show, I think four weeks ago, Dr. Andrew Newberg, and he is the world-known neurologist who studies the effects. What He wrote a book, actually. Uh, one of the books is called How God Changes Your Brain. And he studies that, that when people, he, he demonstrated that when people pray, for example, it changes actually their physiology, it changes the physiology of their brain. So, uh, and, 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 and it's much easier for them to heal. So my double question is, has it been your experience? And, and also the, the first question, how do you help people who don't believe in all this? They're still in pain. Well, you know, um... When you when you turn on the light switch, you don't see the electricity go through the wall and come into the light bulb, right? So I could say it's irrelevant whether the, uh, the person believes in God or not. Um, but it is relevant to their progress because intellectually, once you accept that there's a greater divine force, then... Um, then that intellectual acceptance creates the flow and connects you to the flow. So uh, it's much easier to treat people who are connected and have a, a devotional practice or have a, um, a ritual life. Uh, it's much easier because they're more fluid. That intellectual understanding that there is a uh, a force that fuels the human experience makes them full of energy, and then it's easier for me to um, make changes in their body. If they don't believe, it takes one or two sessions and some emotional resolve because the reason they're not receiving is not because they don't believe in anything, it's because they're so consumed by the practical reality they don't make any emotional changes and it's through the intellect and the heart that we receive energy from the creative force which expands our soul and gives us a broader view of reality so then if a person doesn't believe then our conversations what i could you know uh, the system that, uh, that i work with uh realized medicine i engage the individual in understanding how they're constantly, they are responsible for co-creating their own reality. So it's, it's everything is happening as a result of them. 
and then it's easier for them to comprehend and, and they recognize and say, well, you know, what? it's very interesting, you know, this, this, so then my belief is creating my experience. And then that acknowledgement kind of twists and turns their understanding and allows the flow to happen. So after one or two sessions, they become fuller and I can make any changes and everything is correctable. It doesn't matter what they have or not. It makes no difference to me. What is the, if you don't mind sharing, what is the mechanical, I have seen you do work, so I know how it works, but our listeners did not. What would be, what is the mechanical process of you doing what we'll call healing or energy work? How does it happen? Well, it's not all energy work, you know, depending on, of course, depending on the issue. But most of the work is understanding, not not believing. I'm not asking anyone to believe in some unseen force. That's why you're right. It, do, it, it doesn't matter whether they believe or they don't. Because once they experience uh, treatment for me, there's no, they, it's inevitable. But what happens is, the energy force, which you and I call God, is constant. It doesn't, it doesn't stop flowing. It's a question of whether we're in alignment with it or we're not in alignment with it. So uh, through my observations, basically when a person comes, regardless of whether they're emotionally not well or physically not well, because I shock them, kind of shock them into submission because of I use my abilities to make ob concrete observations about their lives. It kind of shocks their intellect and emotionally they become very open because um, they're not incremental uh, tidbits of information about their lives. They're very concrete observations about who they are and how they function and what's happening in their lives and so on. I'm not, uh, I don't use my abilities to look at outcomes. So um, is that, that understanding that is that, in other words, a person that hears that, it kind of tweaks their mind a little bit. They start to think, well, how's that? How's the guy know? I mean, it's just my way of proving to them, not that I see them, but uh, that I am an energy and that they are an energy. And I'm standing in not just tidbits of information, I'm standing in their whole entire life because. It's not the brain that remembers, it's the, it's the soul. So the soul accumulates information from this life and any other life, and, and every, every increment of information is in the texture of your soul. So it's the moment you're in front of me or even on the phone with me or you mention the name, I'm aligned to everything that you do. And I'll give you an example. I, don't know, I'm not, uh, I went to dinner with a friend of mine who you know, he brought a girlfriend who has never met me before. There's a full table of people. And uh, finally, she was so intrigued. She said, Vladimir, what's, what, what's the extent of your abilities? What can you really do? I said, well, I'll tell you what. I, I, didn't, want, I didn't want to become the center of uh, conversation for the table. I said, I'll, I'll do it because you're Perez's girlfriend. Uh, I said, I'll. I can pull up your entire contact list in front of me and tell you which one of your friends has a sick child. That's the extent of my ability. And so when people hear that, it shocks them. And, and it shocks them into understanding that all things are possible. That's the, that's the most important. 
Right. That's the great, you, you are living shock therapy. Yeah. It suddenly makes a person aware that there is something beyond logic, reason, and what, what is uh, objectively verifiable. Because what, what modern medicine does and what people who rely on logic is, they, what about double blind placebo control studies? What if we can measure it? It's real. If it's we cannot measure it, it's not necessarily real. But what you do, your experience is absolutely subjective. It cannot. That's why it's very difficult to study people like you. But yet, it's nevertheless real. Right. So, but let's going back to to the mechanism of of healing. So, what? How do you align, uh, or how do you help their energy to align to the flow? And maybe you can help me. Actually, uh, when I when I talk to people, and you know that I don't work uh, with energy like you do, but well, but I do talk about this constant flow that we have of energy and uh, uh, love. And I say, imagine if there is light coming into this room. But you have uh, a huge piece of just white paper. The light will be still coming in, but it will not be coming in 100%. Now imagine two sheets of paper. Now imagine 20. And sooner or later, you cannot see anything. The room becomes dark. And so all your thoughts, all your doubts, all your resentments, all anger, all the negative emotions create this interference between you and receiving the flow. What do you think about this explanation? Is that, because I, for me, it's a, like I read about it and I'm uh, learning it from people, but it's not a direct experience. So I'm, I would rely more on what, you, what your, your subjective experience is of that, which I just said. My, my experience, it sounds close um, to what it looks like, but when I, I look at someone the way it looks to me is um, imagine you were a, a battery and your battery uh, should be at 100% and your constant battery is constantly being refueled. Well, it can't be refueled if you, are, if you have all these, imagine you have all, all these wires coming from your battery into all the stories that you're juggling in your life what your mama did to you, what you, your neighbor said to you, what your boss did to you, and all of these stories and, and the emotions that are tied to them, they redirect that constant flow from the creator into these stories. In other words, you're fueling, instead of receiving and being complete, you're redirecting all that energy that's intended for your soul to sustain your physical body into all of these bubbles of thought and belief. I and love the analogy. That's a great analogy. Wow, I never heard it from you yet. Well, so the, basically what I do is I make them pull their wires out of the bubbles that they're feeding. So imagine all these tubes coming from your chest and from your heart and from your liver and from your kidneys and from your pancreas. And they're all going in, they're, they're all, um, fueling these bubbles of, 
of belief in these scenarios. My mommy did this to me when I was 12, and now I'm this. And so you entertain the story. And so once we find value in what your mommy did to you, we take the power back. Mommy's not, that bubble's not being fed anymore. And so when we disconnect from all those bubbles, all of a sudden that wasted energy that you've been wasting for 30, 40, 50 years now is going into you. And it's, it's a little, um, it could take you down a little bit because it's, uh, it's very shocking. It's unnerving, um, especially insinuating to people that they have to find value and not the psychological model of, you know, blame and, and uh, pointing the finger. So uh, finding value means you were exactly where you were supposed to be and everything that happened is supposed to happen because that's what your soul chose. And, and we, we don't justify or put a nice pretty pink ribbon on it. We literally find value so that you can find value in what is now. Because if, if what is not, if, if where you are is not valuable, then whatever's intended for you can't find you because you're always in that which was or that which you think is going to be. And so all these bubbles, once we dissolve them, then you take your power back, literally energy back. It's easier to treat a person then. Yeah. So now there are two steps. One is dissolving the bubbles. I, I love this analogy and I totally understand what you said, and I really appreciate you taking people through this uh, explanation of of the value of these experiences. Every experience is valuable, but that's one part of your work. The second part, and that's my question to you: How do you then help them to? Yes, on one hand, yes, they let's say they understood you, and they stop feeding those bul uh, um, uh, bubbles. Mm -hmm. But that's not enough. You do more than that. So tell the second part. How do you actually fuel them and help them to heal? Because otherwise, possibly just explaining to them and them stopping feeding the bubbles would already do healing. But some, like your cancer patients, they would not live to see that because the cancer is progressing too fast. So you need to interfere and expedite the process. How do you do that? So just by, I don't think human beings realize the, the effect of gathering yourself from all of their human insanity and their attachments. So I call them uh, attachments to your stories, right? Uh, once, uh, the, let's say, let's, let's, let's just say it's a, a person, a simple case, it's a person with a bulging disc, right? So... Why, why would a disc be bulging? Because the spine is a physical support system for the body, which means that individual doesn't have a, uh, um, a intellectual or emotional spiritual connection to the creative force, which sustains the soul. And in turn, that becomes the emo that's, that's the support for the soul. Well, if the soul is not constantly receiving, then the spine and the emotional shocks uh, uh, of everyday life create pressure for the intellect. The whole the person holds their breath, and then they're therefore creating a lack of flow of energy or oxygen, and the spine collapses onto itself. And the the cushion, which literally the disc creates the cushion for the shock, the emotional shock. If you have a 
a, a devotional life and a, and a practical relationship with the creative force, whether, regardless of what your religion is. You have a, a orderly life through which you reconnect. Then you're constantly receiving and you're supported by a greater divine force. When you don't have that relationship, the pressure of, of emotional life and, and everyday life creates literal pressure on the spine. So what I do, I'm not an unlimited source of energy. I'm not, I'm just a human. I receive like everybody else. It's just that the, the light of my soul came into this world for this work. And I just vibrate to a higher frequency. So in a practical way, you listen to one radio station. I listen to all of them at the same time. So um, what I do is, I raise my vibration so that I can direct the creative force into their soul body. Then their soul energy expands and gives life to that which has already become physical material or atrophied or hardened. And, of course, the spine settles because there's no energy in the body. That's first and foremost. Once we fill them up, I can literally take my energy hand and extend it and push the disc back. I mean, there's, there's videos online, there's all kinds of testimonials. It's, it's probably this, people go for surgery. It's the simplest thing to do. And you and I both know, I think uh, one of your buddies, um, uh, Shimon's mom, no? She had severe pain or somebody who knew. People suffer from back pain. It's it's uh, and choose surgery when it's really the simplest thing to correct. I guess I, I hope I explained the process. I hope that that's clear. Well, uh, it's clear for me, but point <clears throat> people can expand on it because you just said I put my energy hand. Can you elaborate on that? Because <laughs> look, everything. It's a concept I learned from you and Jerry. Everything is a form for a function. So the hand is an expression of the soul's intent to hold, uh, to point, to express intent, to let go, to go whatever, it's for everything, right? So then everything is an expression for an intention. Then I have a, a physical body, and then I have a spiritual body. And that spiritual body, I feed constantly because it's that body that does all these otherworldly things. And so I don't need to touch the person. I energetically, once I expand their soul's energy, then they become so fluid that I literally, when I come into contact with them, they're no longer a physical condensed body. They're now just a bunch of physical cells pulsating and the energy body is accessible to me, they, they literally become jello. So then I can extend my physical hand as if I'm reaching into the spine, and I use my imagination to do it. Because, as you and I both know, imagination, it can... Energy. Exactly. So I, I, the way I yeah. see it is the way it becomes. I place my hand in the spine, and they literally feel me. I don't care if they're in... China or in Singapore, they will feel me pushing the disc back. That's how I do it. Right, because energy is transpatial and trans 
personal. It can go anywhere. It goes through space, through time, through anything. So you can, did you ever, uh, and I think we actually discussed it one time. Uh, so I know you did. Did you go back and correct somebody's experience in the past that would then affect their present? Um, on a number of occasions, uh, one very specific one was uh, a young woman who was um, a doula for my son's birth. Um, her child, after she delivered, helped us deliver, she asked me to treat her kid. And she, the child was six years old. She was severely asthmatic. She would go to the emergency room like on, on call. On, every Friday they were in the hospital. So she asked me to treat her. And I, I, honestly, with answering this question and elaborating, I don't want to put emphasis on past lives because people's frou-frou desire to be there correcting their past lives, people become so obsessed. That it's this life that matters. But it so happened that this child's correction was from a past experience. And so uh, she had severe asthma attacks. And when I aligned myself, this was by phone. There was no, I don't think there was even Skype at that point. Um, they were on speakerphone. I said, uh, Sue, I said, you know, your kid had an experience in a past existence. It's in the soul's memory of drowning. And... Uh, the father jumped to the phone and said, you know, she listens to an instructional CD 10, 20 times a day called Little Ducky. It's an instructional CD on how not to drown. Yeah. After I greeted her once, Chris called me back and said, she stopped listening to the, to the CD, she's done. So we, well, we fill that space that is empty that needs to be filled she re-entered the human experience with a memory of not being able to breathe why why can't people breathe because they're emotionally consuming themselves and they co-create their new issue they they don't have a uh, a way of resolving their emotions they, they're always constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop and so they're consuming themselves and they you know then there's the, the physical issue comes and, she found a family, of course. The kid chose a family through which she can learn how to resolve emotions. And we set her on her way. Wonderful. We still have, uh, I think, 12 minutes to go. I, I have a couple of things I want to ask you. One, one time you, you and I were riding in the car, you told me a story, and I said, oh, when I invited you to my show, I want to make sure you tell this story because it's so good. It was about a woman... Uh, in a particular job and the child and what happened to the child and why the woman survived and she was uh, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. her job was. You, you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Can you tell the story? Uh, the two stories are, are not relevant to each other on, unless you're asking, you know, uh, at some point in my practice I had to question myself how is it possible I, you know i go to a i got a call to go to new york presbyterian hospital and a six-year-old had lymphoma and uh of course the medical community shot him up full of hormones his lymphatic system atrophied he blew up and and died and so uh, i came and treated 
uh, the boy three sessions. And when I came back on the fourth time, he literally waved me out of the room. Um, uh, so at that point, what happens with treatment is that the body's so exhausted from the medical, from the physical issue that my treatment raises the vibration of the soul. Either they become completely well or the soul um, leaves the physical body. And it was a very traumatic experience. I knew the parents. Uh, they were referred by, um, by a, a rabbi from the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I was friends with him. Uh, it's it's very, you know, it's 23 years now of professional practice. You, you never get used to a child leaving this world. So everyone will ask themselves, well, where's God in the equation? <laughs> well, God has nothing to do with it. It's the, it's the parents and, of course, the child's process. Every soul has a process. And then I had a... Um, an experience, you know, I, my work was supported by a guy out of Virginia. In, uh, I lived in New Mexico, New Mexico. Um, I lived on a resort property, and and at one point, a young woman walked into my, actually, two women walked into my office, and she said, "I know this guy brought you here. I don't have his financial abilities, but I have an issue on my. I have a tumor on my wrist. It was probably the size of a, a grape. Can you help me take it down?" I said, "Sure." I took it down in six minutes. And then her friend said to me, you know what, she has, she won't tell you, but she has ovarian cancer. She has lesions all over her legs. So she came back the se a second time. She did not mention it, so I wouldn't say a word. I didn't tell her anything that I knew about her condition. And I treated her, I think, once or twice more, and everything went away. So the question was, the, the moral of the story is, and by the way, her friend told me that she's a, a call girl, she's a prostitute. And I thought to myself, how does this happen? Like, what, 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 where's, the, where's the universal correctness in this scenario? A six-year-old who did nothing to anyone, who lives a complete, he's out of a religious family and, and uh, an observant family, and, and he dies and she lives. And moreover, healed after three sessions. And the answer came, um, of course, uh, a very concrete answer, that because she is who she is, and she's unattached and not conditioned by her fears, she got healed. And the child is conditioned by the parent's fears. He lives within the confines of the parent's fears. And so, of course, you know, the medical community doesn't have many options. They do what they know. Uh, chemo, radiation, hormones, whatever whatever it is that they do for a, a, someone who has lymphoma. There lay the question, what, why does someone that has no value and doesn't value themselves and uh, constantly um, crosses the line of morality gets to live and a six-year-old dies? Because the prostitute wasn't connected or attached to any result. She lives completely in the moment. She doesn't care about uh, herself. She has a disregard for morality. She doesn't, doesn't have a, uh, she's not attached to uh, an outcome. She lives completely in the moment. That's why she got here. Vlad, we, we have a caller. Would you like to take a call? 
That's up to you. Well, of course, of course. Let's let's give it a try. Okay. Yes, please. Uh, what was the name? One second. I need to see. Hello. Greetings. Yes. Hi. Uh, would you repeat your name again, please? I'm Neil from Connecticut. Yes. I hi, Neil. You. Thanks for calling. What's your question or comment? Hi. At the uh, and uh, hello to your guest. Greetings and salutations. Um, at the beginning of the COVID, COVID phenomenon, uh, I was quickened. I have since organized my belief system. And I'm not looking or asking for a remote healing, as we all have several conditions lurking. I am simply asking for any advice as to how to proceed in self-activating or actualizing. I, uh, early in life, I was given an abundance of talent, but I don't have the ambition. I'm amotivational. So, uh, and so there are early childhood experiences that contributed to this blockage. So I know I need unblocking. Thank you, uh, Neil. Let's see if Vlad wants to take. Vlad, would you like to talk about it? Uh, of course, I'll address it. Look, um, a lot of, <laughs> I call them uh, extraordinary people living ordinary lives. They're high-frequency souls that enter the human experience to find their way. And they usually enter families um, who are not connected, who are not uh, observant, who don't have a conscious understanding of, of the human or spiritual experience. So my advice, uh, the reason um, this gentleman's uninspired to pursue his talents is because inspiration comes as a result of, of connectedness. It's not by hugging trees or putting your feet in the ground and communing with nature, because a tree doesn't, didn't create you, but having a ritual devotional life and exploring conscious understanding of the human experience and the spiritual experience. I mean, concrete understanding, not a potpourri of different disciplines that don't serve anything. So once the flow of energy starts flowing, then there develops what's called a sense of urgency. That flow through intellectual understanding lights the lights broadens the light of the soul and inspires the intellect and the will to continue to uh, to even get up in the morning because you all of a sudden you feel that once you feel the flow and recognize that there is a greater divine force, you it becomes important because you realize that not only does it serve you emotionally, intellectually, and physically, it serves you in success. So inspiration comes as a result of commitment to devotion. And once again, not by hugging trees or, or subscribing to astrology. Not, I love astrology, it's phenomenal, but it's the stars didn't create us. So in order to inspire someone like that, they, first and foremost, they can go on YouTube and find a simple exercise uh, called the Simple Spinal Series. It's a Kriya. Kriya means action. Uh, and the breathing exercises will envelop the nervous system, strengthen the soul's energy, and then the soul's energy will ignite and inspire the intellect 
and create imagination and that imagination will then propel the individual into uh, pursuing um, uh, a sense of purpose. Yeah. Thank you, Vlad. And if I understood correctly, Vlad, mm -hmm. uh, you're talking about still a person finding uh, orderly ritual life. Yes. You know, whatever whatever tradition you happen to be born into, uh, it's not by a chance. From spiritual perspective, nothing happens by a chance. So if you were born a Muslim or born Christian or born Hebrew or Hindu, you need to get yourself involved into devotional practice knowing that you are connecting with that which is endless and you call it divine or call it X factor, it doesn't matter. Once you begin to connect, then everything that Vlad is talking about begins to open. But it starts with practice, it starts with order. Thank you very much for calling, Neil. Vlad, I want to tell you, <laughs> we only have two minutes and I have to say goodbye to you and we'll have to say final words uh, to my audience but i really really appreciate you coming and talking to us today and i i know that we did not even touch a, a little sliver of what you have to offer so hopefully we'll make a, a date and we'll bring you again um to to talk about other aspects of your work, because it's not only one thing that you're doing with, that you shared with us today. And I would love also you to share with your personal journey, which is quite remarkable. That's a whole, <laughs> whole other story, but also very educational story. For um, I think it's a very enriching story showing that you have to go, people run away from their past, uh, they are uncomfortable, they they think something was a mistake nothing is a mistake everything brings a person to this very moment not in spite of but thanks to all the experiences that they had okay thank you very much again vlad and i will talk to you soon thank you for having me i appreciate it look forward to it. thanks okay okay everybody uh Thank you very much again for uh, joining us today, uh, my dear audience. And next week, as I said, we'll continue our journey through six pillars of well-being. And our time came uh, to an end today. Thank you for being with me today and with Vlad. And I hope to have your attention next Tuesday. Peace to all who want to live in peace. <laughs>